Well, good morning, and uh, welcome once again to First Baptist Watauga. For those of you who don't know, I am Pastor Nathan. I'm our student pastor here. Um, I am preaching in place of Dennis this morning because we as a church believe that it's important to give our pastor a vacation. And so he's hopefully right now relaxing, sitting in front of some mountain somewhere, possibly fishing. Um, so he's going to be praying for him and his wife as they, as they just attempt to relax for the next couple of weeks and, and refresh. Now, uh, if you look around the room, you'll occasionally see some shirts. There's three in a row right here, some yellow shirts that say thrive on them. Uh, that's because not yesterday, but a week from yesterday, we came back from youth camp. Um, most of these students were not here last week because I kindly asked them uh, not to, to come back. And one of the interesting things that, that, you, that I've noticed, I've been to a lot of youth camps, y'all, uh, several, several years as a student, a few years as an intern, and now as a student pastor. So I'm you know, one of the things I'm kind of used to at this point is when you come home from youth camp, people generally want to know the stats. They want to know what happened. They want to know how many salvations. They want to know if we get to baptize anybody. If any decisions were made, we often want to know those stats. We want to hear the stories of how God moved in this mighty, wonderful way. And, and those things happened at camp this year, like everywhere. I, I, the last number I heard from the camp director was 15 uh, kids across the camp made first-time decisions to follow the Lord while we were at youth camp, and that was wonderful. And uh, the theme was kind of a, almost a joke for Palmer and I most of the week, as, as Palmer is my intern, and he, uh, he was with me, helping me as we uh, led youth camp uh, thrive. I must admit there were several times when I was at camp where the word thrive didn't seem like the appropriate theme. The appropriate theme felt more like the word disaster. Um, if, if you've had the privilege of getting trapped in a corner with me and asked me about youth camp, I probably told you exactly how youth camp was and the many disasters that occurred. But we had a, a bout of food poisoning, uh, we think, hit hit across camp. And so for the last few days of camp, I was woken up early in the morning because students were throwing up. Um, I, I believe we had about 20 campers across the campus in the span of like 12 hours overnight. We, we got our students to the nurse first, though, so they got the beds. Everyone else had to stay in their cabins. Um, so praise God for that. Um, we had several different injuries uh, throughout the camp. Uh, one of them had to take me to an emergency clinic so that I could uh, care for a student who needed to go there. Um, most of these related to a giant pillow thing. Don't ask me about it. Ask the, the kids in the yellow shirts about it. They will tell you how much I despise it because um, I'm so done talking about the giant pillow thing. And, and finally, we, we took on the last night, the, the dams kind of broke. And, and I ended up uh, taking two students, one from our church, one from another church, uh, to the emergency room. I was quite literally, I borrowed somebody's car and drove uh, to the emergency room because one of our kids uh, who was sick all day uh, needed fluids because most of you know, if you continuously throw up, you lose all the fluids in your body and you need that stuff if you didn't know. Um, so we had to take uh, that student to the ER. Another student from a different camp uh, was diabetic and her blood sugar dropped incredibly low. And so there I am leaving the sermon and in the middle of it, Ask these students. They know the sermons better than I do because I had to step away so many times. And so I'm, I'm taking us to the emergency room and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is a disaster. <laughs> we are not thriving, right? There was, well, there was certainly ways in which God moves, but I could not sit there. In fact, I'd be foolish to sit there during that sermon and say, 
those kids will be fine. This isn't a disaster, <laughs> right? We're, they'll thrive. They'll be okay, right? I, I would be irresponsible. Hopefully, you would fire me. Um, <laughs> we, we wouldn't allow that. I can't simply ignore disaster. And yet, in today's passage, we're going to be looking at Amos. He spends most of this chapter trying to warn of disaster. And he's talking to a people who really don't believe disaster's coming. They don't believe it's here. They don't believe that this is an emergency. And so you'll, you'll see in the gravity of the way he speaks in today's chapter that it's, it's pretty severe. And so we're continuing this week in our study through the book of Amos that Dennis started for us last week uh, where he talked about the first two chapters of Amos and he, he pointed out several different oracles. Uh, the, the Lord speaks through Amos and kind of warns eight different nations. And he kind of does this little circle thing. He hits all of these other nations. He ends with Israel, right? And then we enter chapter three and the Lord focuses all attention on Israel. Okay. And so, uh, we're going to read, if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Amos, uh, chapter three. We're going to read the whole thing. It's just 15 verses. Um, so follow along if you would. Um, and Dennis mentioned this last week, but Throughout this series, y'all, the, the theme that you should think is just buckle up, okay? It's going to be quite the passage. So just buckle up with me and let's read. <clears throat> Amos 3, it starts like this. Listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you Israelites, against the entire clan that I brought from the land of Egypt. I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion growl from its lair unless it has captured something? Does a bird land in a trap on the ground if there is no bait for it? Does a trap spring from the ground when it has caught nothing? If a ram's horn is blown in a city, aren't people afraid? If a disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who will not prophesy? Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod and on the citadels in the land of Egypt. Assemble on the mountains of Samaria and see the great turmoil in the city and the acts of oppression within it. The people are incapable of doing right. This is the Lord's declaration. Those who store up violence and destructions in their citadels. Therefore, the Lord God says an enemy will surround the land. He will destroy your strongholds and plunder your citadels. This is my favorite verse right here. Verse 12 says, the Lord says, as the shepherd snatches two legs or a piece of an ear from the lion's mouth, so the Israelites who live in Samaria will be rescued with only the corner of a bed or the cushion of a couch. Listen and testify against the house of Jacob. This is the declaration of the Lord God, the God of armies. I will punish the altars of Bethel on the day I punished Israel for its crimes. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will demolish the winter house and the summer house. The houses inlaid with ivory will be destroyed and the great houses will come to an end. This is the Lord's declaration. All right. Well, that's all 15 lovely, beautiful verses of uh, destruction. Um, Certainly some, some violent imagery in there at times. We're going to walk back through this because what's, what's important, and this will remain important, y'all, throughout the whole series, is that we have a tendency in, in series like this one where we're looking at a prophet who's, who's condemning an entire nation. We have a tendency to not view ourselves in the ones being condemned, okay? And so we're going to want to not really see how this pertains to us. 
But I think we can learn some, some important tidbits throughout this passage, and then hopefully you'll gather with me an entire theme that, that Amos is really trying to point out here to this whole uh, nation of Israel. And so if we look at just the first two verses, he, he starts off with this language of, I have known you and only you, right? Amos was a contemporary of Hosea. If you read any Hosea, you see lots of marriage language, right? And it's often what we see when, when God's feeling betrayed and when he's dealing with sin in his people, we often see this kind of broken marriage concept. We see this imagery appear because it's, it's this horrible betrayal, right? He's referring to this original covenant that he has with Israel. They weren't just random people. They were his people, his chosen people. There's allusions to him bringing them up from the land of Egypt in the first, uh, the first verse there, right? See, our, our sin is this betrayal against the Lord, right? If we're God's chosen people, then sin is not just sin for sin's sake. It's, it's a betrayal. Um, Again, I, I work in youth ministry, and one of the things that I've realized about the high school boys currently is that they have a tendency to quote Star Wars quite a bit. Um, now, when I say they quote Star Wars, some of you are thinking Chewbacca and Han Solo. These are high school students who were born in the early 2000s. They're quoting like Anakin Skywalker from episode three. That's, that's just that, you know, some of y'all think Star Wars, you think of a particular time period. That's not their time period. So they tend to quote uh, Obi-Wan or Anakin to me sometimes. And so occasionally I'll hear from across the room, some youth saying to another, you were the chosen one, right? And they'll just yell that I'm watching Ian right now laugh in the back of the room, right? Because I've seen you do it, Ian. And, and they'll, they'll scream that out and they'll quote that famous scene where Obi-Wan fights Anakin because he was meant to restore balance to the force. Instead, he turns to evil, right? He was supposed to be a good guy. The nation of Israel was supposed to be God's people, God's chosen people. So this isn't just sin. This is a betrayal of their agreement. It's a betrayal of their promise. If we, if we keep going, you know, uh, one of the things to remember about sin is that sin is kind of a natural state of living for lost people. If, if someone's lost, I'm not surprised if they act lost. If they don't know who God is, I'm not surprised when they don't know God's designs, God's ways for us to live. That doesn't, that, that just, that's logically sound. But if we walk with God and we know God's rules, we know God's designs, it's a different thing when we sin. It's a betrayal. It's not just our state of, of being at this point. So if we, if we keep going, he answers this whole section, verses three through eight, on these rhetorical questions. And again, the tendency is to want to skip down through them. But the first one he, he mentions is, do two walk together unless they agree to do so? No. All of these questions that he asked, the Israelites would have known the answers immediately. That's why they were rhetorical. They would have known the answers. And they would know, no, of course not. We would have someone with us. And of course, he doesn't even stop to point out that two people had agreed to walk together, the Lord and the Lord's people. And they had stopped walking with the Lord. He continues on, and we see this imagery of lions and bird traps. So one of the things to remember is that he was a sheep breeder. He, he dealt in the business of, of shepherds. So one of the things that he knew that the people would know is that when a lion roars, it's right before the kill. A lion doesn't just 
roar. We, we see this in movies sometimes where a lion will just like come up to some mountain and roar gloriously. But usually a lion roars because it's about to kill something. Okay. That's just that. And he knows that because he's probably seen a lion roar before it kills one of his sheep. Right. And so that's the moment the lion roars to paralyze the prey in fear. And they never growl until after they have that prey. They growl in victory. That's one of the things he's pointing out about lions in this shepherd's uh, language. And then he ends these questions, right, with this reality that the lion has roared. Again, if you, if you were here last week, or if you're here this morning, flip the page back over, go look at chapter 1, verse 2 again. We see that the Lord has roared. Right? The Lord is our lion. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler alert for the whole series, but if you look at our graphic there, hopefully you kind of get the gist. The Lord is this lion that we speak of, and he has roared. Who can but prophesy? Amos he almost takes a minute just to defend himself. It's like, who can but prophesy? I have to prophesy. I can't hear the lion roar and ignore it. Right? Just like I can't ignore disaster at youth camp. I'm the youth pastor. I have to deal with some of that, Right? He says, the lion roared, we have to respond to it. Um, Since I've already quoted uh, a sci-fi movie, I'll quote a fantasy movie for you now. Uh, Many of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, probably, and you've either read the the children's books, maybe you read them to your children at night, Um, maybe you've seen, because again, early 2000s, there was a movie made, right? And, And one of the scenes in the movie that really gets uh, the lion Aslan, very correct uh, with the books, is this moment where uh, he makes a deal with the evil white witch for the, the boy Edmund's life. She wants Edmund to die, and he, he makes a deal with her. And so he leaves this tent with her. They announce that Edmund is saved. He's not going to die. And the white witch turns around, and she says to him, how do I know that you'll keep your promise? And he responds, He's a lion. He responds by just roaring at her. And the second he roars at her, she just sits down and stops talking immediately. That's it. Because when the lion roars, there's a sense of fear, a sense of disaster, impending emergency. We, we don't hear a lion roar and do nothing about it. If you were sitting on your couch one day and you just heard a lion roar in your living room, you'd probably respond to that. I hope you'd respond to that. And so they, they get this scene in the movie quite right, because Aslan, even in the books, you see that he fills people with joy, but also people with fear. Although we love our God and we're meant to have this love and joy uh, when we're worshiping our God, God should always be the one you're the most afraid of. Because when a lion roars and the Lord speaks, there should be fear. And, and Amos is trying desperately in this passage to warn the people that the lion has roared. What are you doing? Disaster is coming. Now, another interesting thing here, and just stay with me on this, all right? Because I, I found this fascinating. You may not be as much of a, a nerd as me. Most of you probably didn't have to sit down and study this passage this week like I did. And so you, you didn't necessarily pick up on this, but there's in the first two chapters, we see seven oracles and then an eighth, right? We see seven nations condemned, the seventh being Judah, right? Israel's sister nation. And then the eighth one is Israel. Here, we see seven rhetorical questions and then an eighth more aggressive question, right? For the Hebrew and uh, Israelite world, seven was often this number of completion. They hear seven things like that. They kind of think it's done. He's, he's finished right there. And then he hits them with the eighth, right? So they hit all of these nations. They end with Judah. And they're like, yeah, 
all of those bad nations. But also you, Israel, right? And he hits him with this shock. All of this, this seventh and eighth stuff just has to do with shocking Israel into listening to Amos. It's this rhetorical strategy he's using. Because, again, they're wealthy. They're doing well. They're comfortable. They, they, they believe God's blessing them. They don't see the disaster that's coming. But if there's one theme, if there's one thing to take away from this whole passage today, it's this. The Lord will certainly deal with his people. The Lord will certainly deal with his people. The Lord does not ignore sin. Even in a Christian, the Lord doesn't ignore sin. The Lord knows when we sin, and the Lord especially knows when we live in states of sin, and the Lord does not ignore it. He will deal with us. And that's, that's really where we hit home today, where we can really take from this passage and understand that the Lord will deal with us too. We have a tendency to think, we've done a good job lately, I think, in recent years of shaking off this, this old idea that if something bad happens to you, it's because of God, right? We know better than that now. We know that just because something bad happens to us doesn't mean that God's punishing us for something. But we've gone the other way sometimes, so we have a tendency to think, oh, things are going really well for me, therefore God must love me and is blessing me and everything's going great. That's not always the case either. And so we must be weary of disaster, weary of the lion who roars. In verses 9 through 11, we see this phrase, proclaim on the citadels, Ashdod in Egypt. These are neighboring countries, okay? Ashdod's, I, I, this Philistine land in Egypt as well is their, their neighbors, their foreigners, they're the people that they would look down upon. We're God's chosen people, holy and above you crazy people, right? We're nothing like you. And in this passage, Amos is like, hey, you, you know, you, you foreigners and, and enemies of Israel, come here, come look, come look at all the wrongdoing they're, they're committing. Look at all of the sin. Look at all these, these sinners. Look down upon them, right? If you can imagine... You know, growing up, getting in trouble was just the worst, right? But I would know a difference of my level of in trouble based upon this. Either my dad, when we got home, would get on to me and he would tell me, you're in trouble, go to your room, I'll talk to you in a minute or something like that, right? But it was so much worse if he like grabbed me by the arm in the store or something. Then I knew that I've done something really, really bad. Like I need to get in line now. Am I, am I speaking truth over here? Yeah, he's right over there. So he can, he can vet me on this. I'm, I'm right. I tell you, there's a difference between getting in trouble and getting in trouble in front of other people. Isn't that just the worst? You get in trouble in front of other people. That's so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for the person who's watching too. Most of the time, you ever just watch someone get in trouble in front of you? You're like, this is... <laughs> This is humiliating. <laughs> this is bad. You know, this is, this is kind of the feeling he's going for here. Amos is saying, look, we're going to get everyone together so they can look at you and look down upon you because you're the ones screwing this up right now. And in fact, he says, you know, the citadels are fortresses, they're palaces, what they are, and, and Israel's storing up violence and destruction. What he's doing is he's referencing one of their sins here, right? And we'll, at, throughout the series, you'll, you'll see more of the particular sins that Israel is committing. We saw some of that last week. You'll probably see some of it next week. Today, I really want us to look at sin, generally speaking, the different facets of it. But one of the things that they were doing was, was storing up for themselves wealth, right? They, they get greedy, but they're, they're oppressing the poor as they 
do that, right? And so he, he says they're storing up violence and destruction, right? They're, everything they're doing is, is evil as they build their own palaces and kingdoms. And he's saying all of those are going to be plundered and destroyed. He's just going to get rid of it. It's going to be destroyed. And then they get to this place where they're incapable of doing right. Look at them. They're incapable of doing right. And this is where we get into another tidbit about sin, just something to remember about what sin is, that it'll eventually lead us there. It eventually leads us to being incapable of doing right, because sin we often think of as, uh, as choices, right? I, uh, my, my dad's told me to clean my room. I don't clean my room. That's a sin, right? My wife has told me to clean my room. I don't clean my room. That's a sin, right? So, I'm, you know, I'm, we think of them as bad choices, right? Choices with consequences, and, and, and we understand that aspect. But what we don't realize is that oftentimes sin is actually more of a process, right? Think about when you're, you're driving down maybe 377 here. Do you usually hit just one red light? No, you hit multiple red lights. We hit things in series. We hit multiple green lights in a row often as well. Sin, we don't usually commit once. You commit any particular sin, you're probably more likely to do it again, right? Especially depending on the kind of sin we're talking about here. Sin always has this, this way of becoming a continuous habit. It's a, a process and, and oftentimes a path. And what it leads us to is death. We know that. But right before you get to death, you get to this place where you simply don't know what right and wrong is anymore. You don't know how to do right. Romans 1 talks a lot about this, about us just being given over to our sin, growing numb to our sin. We don't even realize anymore that we're incapable of doing anything right. That's the moment where you simply have to repent. It's that moment before the lion strikes, before you are simply dead in the water, right? Don't let yourself grow numb to sin to the point where you're not even sure what's right or wrong anymore. Don't let yourself get to the point where you're incapable of doing something right. We can and have grown numb to sin in those ways. There's repentance after that. Think of, uh, there's a few different places in scripture where we see this kind of language where people just aren't capable of doing right or they don't know right or wrong. Uh, We see this in Noah's time and God just destroys everybody except Noah and his family because no one, you know, they they always did evil all the time is is what the scripture says there. We also see this kind of stuff with, with Jonah and Nineveh. Nineveh didn't know how to do anything right. If you watch the Veggie Tales, I think they're slapping each other with fishes all the time, right? So they're always bad, but Nineveh repented. You see, so this is, this is the kind of dire situation that we find ourselves in. Sin takes us to this place where we're incapable of doing right. That is where the people here in, in, in Israel are. When Amos is talking, that's the, the direness of the situation, right? We are, we are right there before the lion strikes. Verse 12, I referenced earlier when I was reading it. That's my favorite verse in this passage. If I read it over and over throughout the week, I think I love it more and more every time. It is so violent. It's just... Awful. I mean, did y'all, did, I mean, if you, if you just read through scripture, sometimes we like, anyone ever tried to read the Bible through in a year? Anyone ever tried to do that? Sometimes, yeah, I used to try to do that, especially when I was, when I was like high school, I tried to do that once. And sometimes I would read through things and I would just read and read, have no idea what I'm reading. This is one that'll wake you up from that trance. (laughs) You you read that, what did I just read? (laughs) It's this violent, like when a sheep is killed, you know, only a piece of it is left. That's what he's, he's saying here in this passage. He's referencing, again, 
He comes from the shepherding world. So he knows that when a lion attacks a sheep, right, you cannot, as a shepherd, go back to whoever owns the sheep. Maybe Amos did that. Maybe he hires a shepherd. He says, take care of my sheep. Shepherd comes back to him and says, hey, man, bum deal. We had a lion attack this morning, killed three of your sheep. Amos is like, I don't believe you. You know, you, where, where's the carcass? That was, that was Israelite laws that you had to bring back whatever's left, whatever the pieces of the sheep are in order to not have to like pay restitution for that lost sheep. So if you can imagine people just showing up, you know, hey, how you doing, Bob? Yeah, I've got a part of a sheep leg here. I'm just taking it to Amos to prove that the sheep got killed, right? So that's the stuff that Amos is talking about here, that there's going to be nothing left of you, Israel, just like there's only enough pieces left of a sheep to prove that it was killed. There'll be only enough left of you to demonstrate who the victim was here, right? And, and the pieces that we're talking about, the comparison are couch cushions. Again, he's throwing their sin in their face. It's this greed, this wealth that they've accrued at the expense of others. The only thing left of, of all of you people is gonna be one couch cushion on one of your fancy couches that you love so much. Can you imagine that? Again, violent, violent verse. And spoiler alert, the Lord keeps that promise. Israel is completely decimated during the exile, completely decimated. Verses 13 through 14, he also mentions this. And I think this one is a really important one. He, he, I'm going to punish the altars of Bethel. So that's their place of worship. Okay, So I'm going to punish the place of worship. He talks about the horns that will be destroyed. Now, that's, that's something that you, you kind of have to pay attention to the rest of Scripture. There's a few times in Scripture that'll, that you'll see this. The horns on the altar are actually something that you can grab onto for safety. And what I mean is this. Oftentimes, if a person is, is running from an oppressor or an enemy, someone who's trying to kill them, if they go into the sanctuary and they grab hold of the horns, they're declared safe. It's, it's, it's like, uh, like base when you're playing tag. You know, it's, just, it's like, oh, I'm on base. You can't tag me. Like, I'm safe here. And the Lord says here that I'm going to destroy the horns. The whole altar is going to be destroyed there is no sanctuary. There is no safe place. There will be no running from the Lord. The Lord is inescapable. Inescapable to the point where not even our worship will save us. And that's, that's another important tidbit theme that we see throughout scriptures that oftentimes we, we have a tendency to think our worship will save us, but it won't. Even nowadays when we're living in sin and we go to church and sing songs, maybe even get emotional during the songs, raise our hands a little bit. That doesn't, doesn't mean anything if we're living in continuous sin. I, I hope you understand that. Don't go to church while living in sin and believe that, you know, everything's just fine and dandy. And I'm not saying don't go to church if you're living in sin. You need to be in church because the Lord needs to convict you so you can repent, so you can be saved. But your worship in this room means nothing if you're currently rebelling against the Lord that you're worshiping. The truest form of worship is always obedience. This is part of why we have a time of confession. Matthew let us in earlier during our worship time. We have this time of confession where you can examine your heart, see where you're living in sin. The Lord will often use that time to convict you and say, you're living in continuous sin against me right now. You need to repent and lay that down. And that's an important thing to do before you continue in worship, because obedience is the truest worship. Finally, in verse 15, we again, we see this particular sin 
shoved in their face one last time that the wealth which has been wrongly accrued by them will be destroyed. All of these fancy summer houses and winter houses, this, this wealthy, wealthy buildings, right? They're all going to be destroyed. And whatever we build and neglect of God will be destroyed. That's, that's one of the things I think we can learn from that is that we often try to build things in our, in our own lives. We try to work hard at things. We're Americans, right? We're supposed to work hard at stuff all of our lives. We're supposed to work hard at, at dreams and visions of things, right? But oftentimes those things become idols to us. And oftentimes we stop building God's kingdom and we start building our kingdoms. God, God does things where he gives us resources. This is an image I, I like to think of sometimes where God just gives us bricks all the time. He gives us resources and blessings that we're meant to help build his kingdom with. Our gifts, our talents that God gives us, we're meant to build his kingdom. But what we start doing is we start building our own kingdom. And the truth of the matter is that whatever that kingdom is of yours, whatever you're working on while you neglect God's kingdom, he's probably going to come in and destroy it one day. He's probably just going to wipe it off the map, right? The Lord's not going to protect that for you. The Lord will destroy idols oftentimes because he loves you. And our God is a jealous God. Our God does not want us worshiping other things other than him. So whatever we choose to pursue instead of the Lord will ultimately come to an end. So this last Monday was July 4th, and I had the day off, much like uh, probably many, if not all of you, had uh, probably the day off. Um, now, I had just come from youth camp two days prior, so that was a much-needed Monday off. I was very grateful to have it, and in fact, my wife and I decided we were just going to stay at home and, and do very little all day. That was, that was our plan. Was that we hadn't had a day where we just stayed home and did nothing, so we're going to do that. And I did something that I really hadn't done in years. I played a video game most of the day. Now, in high school and middle school and college, my parents can attest to all of that. They watched me play video games all day. I had experience. But it's been years since I really had an opportunity to just play a video game all day long. And I got to do that, and it was, it was a blessing. It was a, a blessing to be able to play a game. And I picked a game that was all about hunting for treasure. It was this adventure game that my sister and I grew up playing. We love playing it. And so I, as I'm playing this game, and I tell you what, games have really changed. You know, the first game ever was like Pong. Ding, ding, ding. That's the game, right? Now our games are like, I, I felt like I should have been in a movie theater. I was watching more cutscenes than I was playing a game. Like there was this whole cinematic thing. There was actors and story and everything. And I kind of felt like I was watching a movie most of the day, even though I was playing a game. And so there's this big old story that literally, y'all, it had a moral at the end of the, the game, which I didn't know that games could really do that, but this game did that. It had a moral, a lesson to learn at the end. It was all about pirate treasure, which, yay, what more fun and adventurous thing to talk about and play than, than a pirate game, right? So I'm playing this game. We're hunting for treasure, and we get to the end of the story, and, that, and they show us the two old pirates that we've been, you know, finding hints for or whatever throughout the whole game, and they've collected all this treasure in a pirate ship, and they're sitting there, they're two skeletons with like swords in them. Clearly they killed each other over the gold and they just sat there and died. And then because it's a video game, the ship blows up somehow. I'm not sure how, but in video games, things blow up. So the whole ship blew up. And the moral of the lesson that they made very clear was that whatever we obsess over like treasure and gold and wealth, it tends to destroy us. And I thought, oh yeah, it's, it's a good lesson. And I'm reading Amos this week and I went, oh my goodness, I just played that the other day. It's true, <laughs> right? 
Amos is talking about the same thing. Is that we build up this wealth, we neglect our God, and it all gets destroyed. What is the point in doing that? Whatever our obsessions are, if we don't surrender them to the Lord, he might just destroy them. So what's the point? At this point, I've kind of walked you back through this whole passage. I've pointed out some contextual things for you to kind of keep in mind. So hopefully you have a pretty good understanding now of what Amos is is communicating to the people of Israel and what it meant for them. And I've pointed out some tidbits along the way and an overarching theme that we need to remember as well. And most of it's about sin. And so as we think about what's the point, what do we take away from this this morning? I would just point you back to that main theme. The Lord will deal with us just like he dealt with the Israelites. If you've accepted the Lord as your Savior, if you've chosen to enter into that believing relationship with him and you're walking with the Lord, you've agreed to walk with the Lord, he'll deal with your sin. He won't just ignore it. We, we don't get to just punch our card to go to heaven and, and pray a little prayer and hope that God ignores the sin for the rest of our lives because God forgives us all of our sins. God does forgive our sin when we, when we are saved, but he's going to deal with that sin. And so the warning that we should take is we should deal with the sin before he has to, right? We should surrender it to him willingly before he rips it away from us. See, the Lord will deal with us as well. And sin always leads to death. And sin is, is contagious. It's infective. It grows in your life and destroys not just you, but the people around you. Sin always leads to death. However, there is a Savior whose name is Jesus. That's what the people of Amos didn't know about yet. The Israelites didn't know that there would be a Savior one day. And although Israel is completely decimated, Judah later, when they also would not turn back to the Lord, they were decimated, but a remnant survived. And from that remnant, the Lord brought us Jesus. And he sent his son to come and die on a cross for our sin. He takes the punishment that we deserve so that we can be free from sin and from the punishment of sin. We can be made right with God. When we step out of line from walking with the Lord, we can now have that opportunity because of Christ to walk with the Lord again. He resurrected, conquering death that we might live forever with him in paradise. And today, I want you to understand if you've never heard that before or if you've simply never accepted it before, you can do that today. You can accept that gift that free gift of eternal salvation. You begin, can begin walking with the Lord today. You can agree to walk alongside the lion who roars. Instead of the lion turning on you, you can simply choose to walk with that lion today. And in a few moments, we're going to give you that opportunity. And so during the, the invitation this morning, we, we, we always have one for good reasons so that you can respond. You can respond in that way. Uh, you can accept that gift of, of salvation, make Jesus Lord of your life, enter into that covenant and escape your sin. Or if you're already saved, use today as an opportunity. Use this whole series as an opportunity. Don't, don't think to yourself, well, I'm not lost. I love the Lord and I'm doing pretty okay right now as far as sin goes. So I'm, I'm, I don't need to, I'll just mark this one off to... You know, I'll think about other things or, or go home today and play video games all day. I don't know what y'all do. But, but take a moment to examine your life today. Take a moment to let the Lord actually point out some sin in your life. And if he does, simply get rid of that. Get rid of that today. If you're currently, some, sometimes what we're going to experience is that these kind of sermon series, 
the Lord will really use them and we'll start to feel really, really awful during the sermon. If the Lord's convicting you of sin, pointing out to you and just shoving it in your face the whole time, deal with that today. Don't go home and try to ignore it and, and, and feel comfortable again. Deal with it today. Get rid of that. If you're in continuous sin, give that up today. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and